The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. And the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, this uh, is the Tom Sumner Program as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour. I'm faced with uh, one of those dilemmas that comes up in live radio from time to time. I had posted on Facebook that my guest this hour was going to be uh, author Olivia Swindler uh, talking about her uh, her new book uh, came out in October um, called Cynthia Starts a Band. Interesting story about uh, personal re-inter- uh, reinvention, rather. And uh, I was I was looking forward to our conversation. She uh, was born and raised in Spokane, Washington, but uh, lives in Grenoble, France. But uh, for some reason, we weren't able to connect this morning. And uh, so I'm going to go to uh, another conversation that I had just recently about... Um, the uh, Netflix series uh, Tiger King with uh, Brittany Pete from PETA and uh, we'll go to that uh, we'll go to that conversation instead which hasn't aired yet so this is still um, still exclusive still new and uh, one of those things we uh, have to move things around a little bit when when something doesn't work as planned so uh, all that being said will continue on. Oh, also, I want to mention that I do have coming up in the final segment of today's show, the third segment of this hour, part three of my conversation with Doug Parisi from Safe Defend, talking about uh, just the the training that, that goes into being prepared for an active shooter scenario like, uh, like we saw, sadly, uh, 
Tuesday uh, this week um, at Oxford High School. So uh, we'll hear the rest of my conversation with Doug coming up uh, at about, uh, oh, 48 minutes into the hour. But, uh, but we'll go ahead and talk with PETA first. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour returns to the show to talk about a new project uh, going on at PETA. She is the Deputy General Counsel for PETA Foundation's Captive Animal Law Enforcement. She was just on the show not too long ago to talk about uh, uh, roadside petting zoos and, and PETA's efforts to combat those. But they're kicking it up to a whole new level with their uh, Tiger King uh, docu-series and we're going to talk about that and more with Brittany Pete who joins me by phone. Hi Brittany, welcome back. Thanks Tom, it's so great to be back. Tell me about Tiger King. How, how did um, how did this whole phenomena get started? Uh, it, it seemed like in the early days of the pandemic this, uh, this phenomenon uh, kind of took off as people were looking for new things to watch while they were quarantined at home and and it became kind of popular can you explain how this phenomenon got going and then how PETA got involved yeah so uh, just as lockdowns were uh, beginning in March of 2020 Netflix released a docuseries called Tiger King um, and it was something that I'd interviewed for and um, worked with the, the producers on providing information and background, um, and it really took off. Um, a lot of the initial attention in the series was focused on the bizarre personalities of the big cat abusers that were focused uh, that were focused on in Tiger King. Um, it, it focused on. Um, exhibitors who are involved in what's called the big cat cub petting industry in the United States, in which baby big cat cubs, so tigers, lions, and tiger-lion hybrids, are taken from their mothers, usually the same day that they're born, even though they would stay with their mothers for two years in the wild. And then they're used in these lucrative cub petting opportunities with the public. But the animals can only be used for a few months before they get too large and dangerous. So there's this whole cycle of cruelty that's involved in this industry. And once the animals grow out of, of cub petting, they're either just killed because they become financial liabilities for the exhibitors, or they're used as breeding machines to create uh, more of a supply for the industry, or they're just relegated to sad backyard cages in either roadside zoos or with private owners. And so this, this has created um, a, an overpopulation crisis for big cats in the United States. And this cycle of cruelty from the moment an infant is stolen from their mother until they die in a cage at a roadside zoo. And so I think this was the first time that a lot of people in the United States even realized that this industry existed. Um, but it was very lucrative for the, the exhibitors who were involved in it. Um, and after Tiger King exposed these cruel practices, PETA was able to run with it. We used every opportunity that we could to, to publicize cubs languishing at the facilities featured in, in the program, such as 
cubs languishing in mud with flies eating away at the ears of of lions at Jeff Lowe's Roadside Zoo and influencers posing with um, adult big cats at, at Doc Antle's facility. And so now season two is here, and we're ready once again to take advantage of the buzz, and we're going to use it to drive the nail into the coffin of the cub petting industry for good. Now, it, as I remember, when this first started, the there was a, a, a breakout, character um that was handling these animals and and he became a little bit of a folk hero at first um do you know who i'm talking about yeah that's right yeah yeah so that that's that's joe exotic his real name is joseph maldonado passage and for years he was at the center of this big cat cub petting industry he was the primary breeder of lions, tigers, and lion-tiger hybrids. Um, he was selling cubs for up to $10,000 each um, to shady exhibitors across the country. And unfortunately, um, he did he did break out as something of a, a folk hero following the release of Tiger King um, when nothing could be further from the truth. Um, Joe Exotic right now is sitting in prison after being convicted on two counts of murder for hire. He attempted to hire two different hitmen to murder Carol Baskin, um, who is a, a big cat advocate and the, the operator of an accredited big cat sanctuary in Florida. Um, and Joe is, Joe is also in prison because he was convicted of committing 17 different wildlife crimes including for shooting five tigers in the head to make room for, for more tigers at his roadside zoo that he was being paid to board, um, and for trafficking in endangered species as part of his, uh, his cub petting breeding business. Now, the people that were highlighted in the, uh, in the first season, which began, as you said, in March of 2020, um, after that, season was over um a a lot of things began to resolve with with some of these uh, allegations made in the first season this sex this second season is going to be very different in in many ways from the first season which i think is just getting underway that's right. The second season premiered on November 17th on Netflix, right. so so people can watch it now. Um, and the season is, is a lot different. It um, PETA has been has been fighting this industry for years, and and prior to even the first season of Tiger King airing, um, we'd already started filing lawsuits um, challenging the big cat cub petting industry. And what we've done is is argued that that cub petting, big cat cub petting violates the Federal Endangered Species Act. The cats who are used in these encounters, so tigers, lions, and tiger-lion hybrids, are all protected under the Federal Endangered Species Act. And under the Endangered Species Act, there are, there are certain actions that are, that are prohibited. You can't harm or harass these animals. And so we've argued that it violates the Endangered Species Act to to prematurely separate infant big cats from their mothers. They desperately need the care of their mothers to mature properly 
Um, and we've also argued that it violates the Endangered Species Act to use these cubs in the encounters themselves. Um, we first filed suit uh, on behalf of tigers at a facility in Florida called Dade City's Wild Things, um, and we were able to win that lawsuit um, based on a default judgment, and we, we rescued 27 tigers total from Dade City's Wild Things as a result of that lawsuit. And then our, in our next lawsuit, we wanted to expand on that victory. And so we sued one of the, the characters that people will recognize from Tiger King 2. Um, his name is Tim Stark. Um, and we, in that lawsuit, instead of suing on behalf of just tigers, we sued on behalf of lions, tigers, and the lion-tiger hybrid. And that was really important because after we sued on behalf of the tigers, a lot of these exhibitors were going on social media and saying, well, screw you, PETA. Um, in order to prevent you from suing us, we're just going to start breeding hybrids now. And so it was important for us to to um, make sure that we were able to get legal precedent finding that those hybrids were protected too, and that's just what happened. We were able to win our lawsuit against Tim Stark, um, and so now the, the legal precedent is that um, prematurely separating big cat cubs from their mothers and, and using them in public encounters violates the Endangered Species Act. And we were able to rescue 25 big cats as a result of that lawsuit as well. And the great thing is that PETA has been calling on federal authorities to enforce existing law against the cub petting industry for years. Um, it, it should already be illegal under existing law. And following the release of Tiger King, the U.S. Department of Justice filed a lawsuit against Jeff Lowe, another villain from the series, um, explicitly relying on the precedent from from PETA's, from PETA's case against Tim Stark. Um, and so we were able to lay the groundwork for um, this, this groundbreaking first-of-its-kind um, DOJ case that takes the position that we've been calling on them to, to take for years. More with Brittany Pete from PETA straight ahead. Old-fashioned radio For a new generation TomSumnerProgram.com TomSumnerProgram.com we wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Good tidings to you wherever you are. Good tidings for Christmas and a Happy New Year. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We wish you a Merry Christmas from the Tom
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
and the Tom Sumner Program. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with Brittany Pete from PETA straight ahead. How did this docu-series uh, come to be, and has it created a whole new platform for PETA to get out its message about ethical treatment for animals? Yeah, so the, the docu-series actually started, um, it, it was intended to be um, about the the reptile industry in the United States, but one of the, the directors of the show, Eric Good, was at a reptile breeder's house one day, and um, there was a, a snow leopard in the back of the van um, in a tiny transport cage, and and that made Eric Good question, you know, how how is this possible? How how are people able to legally engage in this type of trade? And um, and so he he started looking into that, and so that's that's how Tiger King was born, and. It's, it's really given PETA um, an amazing platform to be able to educate the public about these issues. After the first season of Tiger King was aired, we were able to get international press every time we did a press release about abuse and neglect occurring at these roadside zoos. And I think that that's one of the reasons that, that the U.S. Department of Justice really took notice and, and decided to pursue this this litigation against Jeff Lowe under the Endangered Species Act um, because it had become so high profile. Um, unfortunately, the U.S. Department of Agriculture is still allowing big cat cub petting to occur um, at, at facilities such as those operated by Doc Antle, who's another villain featured in the series, as well as um, the Zoological Wildlife Foundation operated by Mario Tabrawi, uh, which is located in Miami, Florida. And so PETA is, is calling on the USDA to stop this preferential treatment and to end the big cat cub petting industry for good. Um, and, and one of the reasons that it's, it's, so, it's more urgent now than ever is because we know that big cats are susceptible to contracting the COVID-19 virus. They can get very ill from it and, mm. from it and cats have died from it. Um, so, and one of the other things that we know is that the cubs who are used in these encounters they don't even have fully developed immune systems yet. And so on top of that and the stress that's caused inherently um, in their lives by being forced to engage in these encounters, being deprived of sleep, um, these big cat cubs are more susceptible than, than any other captive big cats to, to COVID-19. It's time for USDA to finally step up and put a stop to this industry. Well, with season two out, what what are some of the highlights? Because it seems like it's going to be a lot of where are they now, revisiting some of the stories that were told in season one. Or are there some new villains? What, what are some of the highlights in uh, season two? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. There's, there's definitely some reflection, um, in, including some reflection in the first episode of the misogyny that was inherent in the first season where where Joe Exotic, as you pointed out, came out to looking 
looking to many people like a folk hero, um, where Carol Baskin... Well, he was he was out. portrayed by at least his own media um, representatives and press as, as being sort of a tiger whisperer. Right, and nothing could be further from the truth. He was using violence and brutality to, to control tigers, um, and he was cited for numerous violations of the Animal Welfare Act over the years, um, you know, as well as, as, as we know, being convicted of violating the Endangered Species Act for, for shooting and killing tigers. Um, we also know that he hunted Carol Baskin for years. He was tried and convicted of hiring two different people to murder her. He terrorized her for years, flying over her sanctuary in a helicopter, um, having someone put snakes in her mailbox. But somehow she came out looking like the, the victim, or, or that's, the por- that's the portrayal that people walked away from, from Tiger King with. And so it was, it was, to a lot of people, a reflection of the misogyny in, in our society. And so that was one of the things that, that episode one reflected on. Um, but one of the things that a lot of people identified as being as being missing from the first season um, was attention to, to the plight of the animals who were subject to the abuse of these villains. And that's something that people will see in episodes four and five of the season. And I, I don't want to give it away for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, um, but the the ending this time is is really special, and it's worth waiting for. Now, will this continue on, or will you use this platform to develop into other kinds of animal abuses uh, in future seasons? Do you think? Well, we'll see. Peta isn't isn't involved in in producing the series, so that that will be up to the producers and and to Netflix, but. Um, we're certainly happy to continue collaborating with the producers um, so long as it continues getting results for for big cats or, or other animals. Hopefully, um, another season of Tiger King won't be needed. Uh, what we really need people to do um, is to call on their, their federal legislators uh, to support a bill that's pending in Congress right now called the Big Cat Public Safety Act. And that bill would prohibit the private ownership of, of big cats. It would prevent your neighbor from being able to have a tiger in a cage, which is something that in many parts of the country is perfectly legal right now. Um, and critically, it would also prohibit public contact with big cats. So if we're able to get this bill passed, the big cat cub petting industry can be completely wiped out um, with the swipe of a pen. Um, and so it's it's critically important for for everyone to call on their federal legislators to to get this bill passed. It's animal welfare is a bipartisan issue, um, and so we should be able to easily get this passed and to President Biden's desk. Brittany, do you have any idea how many animals we're talking about in this industry? How many lions, tigers, and hybrids there are? We have a rough estimate of um, between three and 4,000 big cats um, in captivity in the United States currently. Um, not all of those animals are in, in roadside zoos. Some of them are in accredited zoos and sanctuaries. Um, 
the question is, we need to, is, is how, how fast that population is going to grow. It grows exponentially when the big cat cub petting industry is allowed to continue. Thankfully, we've been able to knock out the primary breeders in the industry, the, the Joe Exotics, the Jeff Lowe's, and the Tim Starks. But we need for the big cat cub, uh, the, the big cat public safety act to pass and for USDA to crack down. Um, in order to to stop the exponential growth of of this population and for more shady breeders to prevent more shady breeders from stepping into the shoes of the the abusers that we've shut down. Can most of these cats be rehabilitated and and relocated to sanctuaries and and uh, accredited zoos, or do most of them end up? needing to be destroyed? In PETA's experience, every big cat has been able to be transferred to, to sanctuaries. We've, we've rescued 76 lions, tigers, and, and hybrids um, since we started taking on the big cat cub petting industry in earnest just a few years ago. Um, and a lot of them were in, in really bad shape. Uh, we'll be releasing a video in the coming days of a lion cub named Nala, who we rescued from Jeff Lowe in, in September of 2020. Um, she is um, she was pictured in, in USDA um, inspection reports and in PETA complaints, lying in a puddle of mud. She was about six months old with her ears coated in flies, suffering from a condition called fly strike where flies will, will land on an animal's body, usually the ears, um, and start biting and creating wounds. And then they'll lay, they, they'll lay maggots in the wounds and will start to eat away at the animal's ears. It's incredibly painful. Um, and it's the first time we've ever seen the USDA actually halt an inspection and order an exhibitor to seek emergency veterinary care for an animal. Um, a few months after that, uh, PETA rescued Nala and her two surviving siblings as a result of one of our ESA lawsuits. And when we went to pick her up in September of 2020, she was so lame that she couldn't take more than a couple of steps without falling over. And we've got video of, of her on that first day. And it turned out that what the issue was is that she was, she just, simply wasn't being provided with adequate nutrition as a cub. And so she had severe vitamin deficiencies that had weakened her bones to the point that she had multiple fractures. And when the, the wild animal sanctuary uh, took her to Colorado State University, her prognosis um, was fair to poor. It wasn't, it wasn't guaranteed that she would even survive. But thanks to, thanks to their excellent care, um, today she is running and romping and playing with her siblings in her huge habitat with, with other PETA-rescued big cats. So um, there, is, there is no reason and, and no big cat that we've seen so far um, who, who can't be saved and who can't live out their lives in, in peace at an accredited sanctuary. You said that the um, Department of Justice and other government agencies were taking unprecedented steps 
to address animal abuse. And do you think that that's been brought about because of the huge spotlight on the issue created by the Tiger King series on Netflix and its popularity? Absolutely. Absolutely. These these Tiger King abusers had been abusing big cats and other animals for, for decades. PETA had been sending documentation of that to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and, and particularly the USDA for decades. They'd opened investigations into, into Joe Exotic and some of these other guys, um, but allowed them to keep abusing animals. And it was only after Tiger King um, and when PETA was, was getting international headlines and photos of, of Nala um, lying in a puddle of mud with with flies coating her ears, that federal authorities finally uh, took this decisive action. Um, but but they're still not doing enough. There are still roadside zoos across the country that are exploiting and abusing big cats, bears, primates, and, and many other animals, um, and it needs to stop now. The USDA needs to start enforcing the Animal Welfare Act um, shutting down the big cat cub petting industry, um, and we can all help help prod that along um, by making sure that we get the Big Cat Public Safety Act passed. And anyone can go to PETA.org, search Big Cat Public Safety Act, and we have a form there that will tell you who your federal legislators are if you don't know, and you can use that form to send a message directly to your federal legislators Um, to let them know that you want them to support the Big Cat Public Safety Act. What does it tell you that it takes the popularity of uh, a docuseries like Tiger King to get regulatory agencies to act? And what, What does it tell you about who has to speak up in order for them to take an issue seriously? Obviously, the documents you were sending. Obviously, the documents right, so, you were so, sending weren't working. So, is it is it really a public opinion thing? And and maybe you know now where I'm going with this. Is this something that the general public needs to become really actively involved in? I think that's a critically important point, and I think you know more more than showing PETA. I think that that the Tiger King phenomenon and and what it took to finally get a single case filed against this industry by the U.S. Department of Justice, um, I think that it it shows the public that that these federal agencies are not prioritizing the animal welfare issues that that the public um, on both sides of the aisle um, are, are extremely interested in. And and the, the U.S. Department of Agriculture is not satisfying the statutory mandate that it has to ensure the humane treatment of animals. And the, the public really needs to, in addition to calling for the Big Cat Public Safety Act, we also, we also all need to call on the USDA to start doing its job to enforce the Animal Welfare Act and get these abusers out of the business for good. Has there been any quote, free market, unquote, uh, pushback on, on any of these actions taken toward the uh, 
operators of these roadside zoos and, and the breeding farms that you've gone after in this uh, Tiger King docuseries? Absolutely. Uh, the, the big cat cub petting industry is a, is a lucrative industry. Tim Stark was making, in some cases, more than a million dollars a year. Um, but he's also someone who beat a leopard to death with a baseball bat, amputated the claws of big cat cubs, and, and his neglect and abuse led to the death of federally protected big cats. And so uh, there's, there's been a lot of pushback to, to PETA's work. As people will see in, in Tiger King, um, Tim Stark threatened to kill us, um, among, among other things. Um, in all of our our lawsuits, the defendants have have disregarded court orders and have mouthed off to to judges, and that's some of what people will see in Tiger King. But uh, but we don't give up. We don't we don't bow to to pressure. We will not be intimidated by these abusers. And and thanks to our legal action, Tim Stark will go down in infamy as the abuser whose cruelty helped establish that it's illegal to prematurely separate big cat cubs from their mothers and use them in cruel public encounters. Lions and tigers are not indigenous to the U.S. Um, How, from a legal standpoint, do they fit into American uh, law with regard to endangered species? The, the Federal Endangered Species Act doesn't relate only to animals who are indigenous to the United States. Um, it covers it covers animals who are across the globe. And so how that comes into play um, is, you know, animals who are held in captivity in the United States in roadside zoos. Um, under, excuse me, under the Endangered Species Act, in almost all instances, um, Listed species are covered no matter where they're held, whether they're held in the wild or whether they're held in captivity. Um, you can't traffic in, in a tiger uh, unless you have a, a permit from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, um, no matter whether it's a tiger from the wild or from Joe Exotic's roadside zoo. And season two of the Tiger King docuseries on Netflix, uh, you said... Uh, premiered on uh, November 17th. Is it then, are new episodes posted then weekly, and is it always Wednesdays? Uh, so there are five episodes available um, on on Netflix right now, so uh, so people can, oh, really? can watch them all. And does that... Yeah, does... we've seen a lot of people binging them, binging them all at once, and I think the reaction this time around has been has been much better. We're seeing people really taking away the messaging um, that that this industry is horrific and needs to stop, and that these abusers are are monsters. And, and understanding that what they're doing to these big cats um, really is cruel and needs to stop. Does that do those five episodes constitute the second season? Uh, well, I don't think we know yet. There, there could potentially be more episodes to come soon. I mean, would they still be considered part of season two, or would that be a season three? 
I think they would still be considered part of, part of season two. So we, we may still, we could still see some more. We're not sure yet. The, the first season, I think, had seven episodes. So it's possible that there, there could be more to come. Well, Brittany, it's always great to talk with you. And as you know, I like to let listeners, um, let, let guests tell listeners where they can learn more about what we've been talking about. Obviously, uh, season two of the Tiger King docuseries that uh, uh, PETA is participating in is uh, on Netflix now and uh, can be streamed there, at least five episodes of season two. Um, but where can people find out about this project and more? Is it best to start with the, the PETA website, Brittany? Yes, people can go to PETA.org to learn so much more about all of the abusers featured in Tiger King, what PETA has done to take them down, um, stories of animals who were rescued from the abusers, and, um, that form that you can use to contact your federal legislators to call on them to not only support the Big Cat Public Safety Act, um, but also to call on them to ensure that the USDA is doing its job to protect animals. Well, my guest is Deputy, uh, Deputy General Counsel for PETA Foundation's Captive Animal Law Enforcement Division, Brittany Pete. Brittany, thank you so much for spending this time with me and the listeners, and keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Tom. I really appreciate it. Take care. And with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. Hey! 
This is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Jonah Bodie. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to AmericanSchismBook.com. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about active shooter preparation with Doug Parisi from Safe Defend, straight ahead. Is there um, a, a profile that fits most school shooters, or are they all case by case? There is a profile, but I would tell you that it, it, it's, you know, it's more and more case by case. Here's what's unfortunate, is that COVID has put us in a weird predicament, because the, the when you talk about the people that are let's just say, more likely to perpetuate a crime like this, those, that pool of people have expanded because we're seeing more mental health issues. We're, here, we're seeing things where people don't have coping skills because they've been at home locked up for you know, distance learning and, and they didn't have the ability to joke around in the classroom or learn that not every insult is, needs to have like a, a, a vociferous response or something. That, and so this is what's happening is, unfortunately, too many kids have lost a lot of the social skills to, to resolve some of the problems that they have. Um, the other thing, too, is is that when we look at um, the school's crackdown on things like anti-bullying and things like that, that has been um, wonderful in the sense of it has sort of reduced some of these incidents. But what happens is is that some of that bullying just gets transferred from the school sort of out, externally outside of the school where the school doesn't have the purview to necessarily deal with it, but then the only way to respond back to that maybe by somebody who's being bullied is where they know. So they end up bringing something from the outside into the school. And so the context is is that we know these things are going on. The profile of the people that are, are likely to perpetuate this generally is the same. Unfortunately, we're having more and more incidents happen. We know that there's been a steady decline, sorry, steady incline of um, some of these incidents happening year after year over year. But um, there's no one thing to say this is the type of person that's going to do it. It's just like these are the people that are dealing with social isolation, um, mental health issues, coping skills, that sort of stuff. Has the work that's been done by um, school administrators and consultants, law enforcement, companies like yours, are, are, are schools better prepared now than they were five years ago or ten years ago to know what to do in a situation like this? 
hands down they are. State laws have caught up with things like um, uh, fire alarm notifications. So one example is that, unfortunately, fire alarm has been used for nefarious purposes to draw people out of the classroom, but a lot of, school, a lot of states have passed laws that say that if you're not under direct threat, meaning like you hear the fire alarm but you, you don't smell smoke and that you're not getting warmer, maybe you can use an evaluation and listen out in that hallway before evacuating, things like that. The training has gotten so much better. Schools are working with police. Obviously, Oxford did a great job working with their law enforcement because everybody knew what their roles and responsibility was, and the staff and the students themselves know exactly what to go, what to what to do. What's interesting is you and I probably grew up in a time where things, you know, um, I don't know if you remember in the 70s there must have been some epidemic where kids were bursting their flames because we all had to learn how to drop, stop, drop, and roll. But that didn't traumatize us. I grew up on a military base where we learned how to survive nuclear attacks by ducking and cover with a book over our head on our desk. And that didn't traumatize us. But this training is normal. What we have to understand is, is that in all these situations, it's really about preparing for the possibility, not the probability. And so that preparation is what is so beneficial to us. The number one thing, though, that I think schools administrators have to recognize is, is that notification is the key component in all this, but that seems to be the last thing they deal with. They focus on access control, surveillance systems, two-way radios, and things like that. The number one thing you have to be able to do is notify everybody in the building they're under threat so that they can take measures to protect themselves and immediately get law enforcement rolling to the exact location within the building where they're needed. Because without those two components, we end up with situations like Parkland or situations, you know, Oxford, they did a great job, but you do have to recognize that the police showed up and the, sh the killing was over and the shootings were, were, were done. You know, the police said that they did not hear any gunshots when they arrived, meaning that the, the shooting had stopped um, at the time that they arrived. And so these things are ambush attacks that happen very quickly. And when seconds count, this is what we're talking about, is that these things are over within seconds, so you need to get that building on lockdown, everybody notified, but police are always minutes away. They did a great job responding, but there are, these situations do end up with, with situations where law enforcement is sometimes there after the situation's over. Are there, now I know Safe Defend, your company, Doug, I, I'm sure has a lot of information available on a website, um, and, and I would certainly have you share that website, but are there some resources where emergency planners in school districts can um, can go to find experts and, and to get the best systems or, or uh, planning in place for their schools? Yeah, so I mean, safedefend.com, obviously they can go there, but one of the things that they ought to look at is that the Department of Homeland Security created schoolsafety.gov, and that is supposed to be a central repository. I believe it came out um, in two, either 2019 or 2020, where it was supposed to be the one-stop shop for all administrators for policy considerations and things like that. Um, when it comes down to things with parents, the Department of Education has great resources for them. You know, one of the things that I do, just speaking to the parents right now, is you do need to talk to your kids about this. Tell them why it's important to listen to what the teacher says. Don't ever contradict what the school says. If you can imagine a situation where if you tell your 10th grader, like, I don't care what the teachers tell you, you just run. Well, now you have a teacher that's trying to lock a door because that's how they're trained and they know that's the safest, but then you have a student that's trying to exit that door. And so that can't work. So the students need to, the parents need to make sure they don't override the school or change policies, but they tell their kids, work together, get in the safety corners, know what you and at all costs, you know, protect yourself. One of the things that schools probably need to start teaching kids to do is putting their desks on the side. Um, there was a story that um, I, I got a bit of information that maybe here at Oxford one of the bullets hit into a classroom and hit a desk. But some, some of the time kids will get under a desk. Well, bullets don't come from the 
top that come from the side. So they need to put things on their side so that that sort of gives them a little bit of ballistic shielding. But the other thing, too, is that they need to talk to their kids and say there's no jokes about this topic. If you hear somebody say something about active shooter or bringing a gun to school or whatever, you need to either report that or tell me or whatever. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the social media played out in this Oxford situation. There are reports that some kids knew that something was going to happen, but not necessarily what was going to happen. But in all those cases, you know, one of the best things they can do is by, by you know, putting officers in that building and letting somebody know, hey, we're here, and if you try something, it's not going to work. And that's where it's so important that the students who are right there on the front lines of this are letting us know if somebody's joking around about it or planning something or putting stuff on social media. Well, Doug, thanks so much for spending this time with me to, to talk about this. Uh, you know, we always think it's not going to happen to us or near to us, um, and yet it does. And and that's why uh, it's important what you do with um, Safe Defend, the um, your role as director of training, Doug. It's it's really nice to talk to you. Thanks so much for spending this time and sharing your time and your expertise with me and the listeners. Tom, I appreciate it, and everybody should be safe and and understand it's about preparation and knowing what to do. But the probability is extremely low something like this is ever going to happen. So parents should still feel safe, even though something like this just happened yesterday. Well, Doug, thank you so much, and keep up the good work. Thank you, Tom. Take care. That was Doug Parisi. As I mentioned, uh, he is director of training at Safe Defend near Kansas City. They uh, do consulting for schools and help set up uh, programs that uh, notify and and, uh, help keep people safe in the event of an active shooter. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. That wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. I want to say thanks to all the guests uh, throughout the show. We've been talking with Doug Parisi from Safe Defend, Director of Training there, about um, <clears throat> uh, basically he's an expert on active uh, shootings and, and how to train to protect against those. I also want to say thanks to uh, Brittany Pete from PETA talking about Tiger King villains and the Netflix series. Also, Peter LaRock, author of uh, Taking Flight, uh, talking about uh, skills and information for students with uh, diverse learning capabilities and how to be successful in college. And uh, we also talked with um, Nathaniel Sizemore, author of uh, Deadly Division. Good night, everybody. The Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. 
many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.